So we're in, uh, we're in the book of Proverbs, and as such, we're talking about wisdom. Um, and the goal of this study, the last few weeks and the next several in Proverbs, is not just to talk about wisdom, but, actually, but to actually gain wisdom, to obtain it, to get it. Um, and then in getting wisdom, to put it on and wear it. To, to let our lives be adorned by wisdom. To let our lives be shown or beautified by wisdom. Um, that's what we see over and over again in, in the book of Proverbs. We hear Solomon, who's the author most of the, the, the book of Proverbs, entreating his son, receive my words, receive your mother's instruction, put it on like a graceful garland, put it on like a pendant around your neck, wear it. Um, so we see that in the book of Proverbs. And so here in this verse, in this verse, there's wisdom for us that's to adorn and beautify our lives. Um, Alyssa, the other night we were praying together and Wednesday night at our home and we had a wonderful time and Alyssa prayed um, that our lives would, would show itself before others that they would want to know about the hope that we have. And one of the ways that I think that happens is just by the, the, uh, the manner in which we carry ourselves how we adorn our lives, um, how our lives are beautified, if you will, by the Holy Spirit. And so I think wisdom is part of that. Wisdom is a big part of that. So we're looking at one verse today, but um, there's a lot here. And several years ago, I was, I was reading through Proverbs 20, and I got to verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. And this verse has been lodged in my mind and heart ever since. I mean, probably six or eight years ago. I don't want to exaggerate, but it was some time ago. And I think for at least two reasons. One is because I want to be a faithful man. I want my life to be characterized by faithfulness. And in fact, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I want the aroma of my life and eventually the outcome of my life to be one of faithfulness. And the second reason, and there could be more, but these two at least, the second is I want to walk with faithful men and women. And I, maybe I would say I want to produce them in my home too, right? I got four daughters, two sons. I want to produce faithful men and women in my home as well, but I want to walk with faithful men and women, women and men who are faithful to Christ, loyal to Christ, and loyal to each other. Well, in the parable of the talents, that Jesus told the master comes to his servants that, uh, and, and, and there's two of them that were faithful in you know, accomplishing what he wanted them to do in, uh, you know, in his interests and so forth, served his interests well, and he said, well done, good and faithful servants. Good and faithful servant. Um, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of of your master. And every born-again, blood-bought Christian wants to hear the master say that. We want to, don't we? We want to hear our Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Of course, this is talking about Jesus. This is a parable of Jesus, and he's looking for 
faithfulness. He will reward faithful servants. So we come to our verse here today. And there are two kinds of people in this verse. One kind is the many who proclaim their own steadfast love. Now, there's a lot here, but these people proclaim their own love. They proclaim, they cry out, they boast, they brag, perhaps you could say, about how big-hearted they are, how much they love. Apparently, these people are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. There are many of them. I've known them. I know them. You've known them. You know them as well. They are quick to commend themselves as a loving friend, but when adversity comes, they're gone. When uh, loyalty is tested by some kind of sacrifice, it proves their, their words prove to be just that, just words. So there are many people like that. And then there's a second kind of person in this verse, and this person is rare. This person is described as a faithful man. Apparently, he is so rare, the proverb actually says, who can find such a man? King David, in Psalm 12, 1, echoed the same sentiment when he said this. He said, save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. The faithful have vanished. Who can find such a faithful man or woman? Well, I hope, I really do hope, I hope sincerely that you're thinking to yourself, I want to be such a person. They may be rare, but I want to be one of them. I hope you're thinking that because that's wisdom. And that's the point of this message, that we would gain the wisdom we need to be the faithful man, the faithful woman, the faithful boy or girl that grows to be a faithful man or woman. The point is to gain wisdom, and in this case, it's the wisdom of faithfulness. The faithfulness, this faithfulness seems to be talking about interpersonal relationships. Okay, not just faithful in some general vague sense, certainly not faithful mainly to ourselves and our ideals, And I would suggest it's not even primarily or directly talking about faithfulness to God, although it flows from faithfulness to God. We first need to be faithful to God in order to be faithful to each other. This is talking about faithfulness to one another that we're in relationship with. You might say faithful to the people that we are called to be in covenant with. Covenant is not a word we use a whole lot, but it's a good word. It's a Bible word. Um, so we think of families, right? We think of the marriage, of course, the marriage covenant, husbands and wives and parents with children and the kinds of friendships that ought to be characterized by faithfulness. And of course, we think of, and we ought to think of, I hope we do, the kind of faithfulness we ought to have in a body, in a church. One way to describe the church, I think, it's a good way to describe the church, is a covenant community, right? We we took the Lord's Supper a couple weeks ago. We will in a couple weeks again. The new covenant in the blood of Christ, which unites us to Jesus, Him, and also unites us to one another. So, there are those who boast of love. They're a dime a dozen, 
and then there is the rare person who is actually faithful. Now, we need to see something here because there's a close connection between the words steadfast love, which is actually just one word in Hebrew, and the word faithful. The word steadfast love comes from a Hebrew word that carries one of the most important themes in the entire Old Testament. It's the word chesed. Okay, you learned a Hebrew word today. You've got to have that kind of, that sounds like a loogie in your throat, chesed, okay? The word hesed. It's two words, steadfast love, it's translated in English, or at least in this verse. But it's just one word. It's used o- almost 250 times in the Old Testament. It's most often translated mercy, but it's also translated steadfast love, loving kindness, kindness, even just goodness. R.C. Sproul said probably the best way to translate this word, has said, is loyal love. Brings together the, the two ideas of loyalty and love. It's covenantal love. It's covenant love. It's a love that a wife, a husband ought to have for his wife and vice versa. It's the kind of love we ought to have for one another. It's the kind of love God has for us. This kind of love describes how God treats his people. In fact, this truth, the truth of God's hesed or steadfast love is shown in some of our favorite Old Testament Bible verses or passages. Exodus 34. Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. Right? And God says, well, you can't see my face because otherwise you'll die. You can see my backside. So I'll hide you in a cleft of a rock. I'll pass before you. And he did that. And as he passed before him, the Lord proclaimed his name. And he said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and great, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Hesed. Keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. You might be thinking, Lamentations. Once I start saying it, you're going to remember. The steadfast love, has said, of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There we see steadfast love and faithfulness brought together, right? And of course, Psalm 23, one of, our, one of the most beloved psalms. You get to the climax of the psalm, verse 6. And King David says this, Surely goodness and mercy has said, steadfast love, surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now this this word pursue that David uses here, it's often used to describe an army pursuing a defeated foe to pillage them. Here it's used to describe the relentless pursuit of God in love for his people. It's amazing. The fullness of this loyal love, of course, is seen at the cross of Jesus Christ where the the, the only one who is fully faithful to God and his people was treated as a lawbreaker and bore the curse of God, and he did so for unfaithful lawbreakers like us so that we could be clothed with his righteousness and steadfast love forever. 
This is the love God has for us in Christ. This is the kind of love increasingly we are to, are to have for one another. First for God and for one another. So back to Proverbs 26. Kind of took a little bit of a detour. Coming back to it. This verse is not downplaying steadfast love. It's not. That's central, right, to, to our understanding of God's love for us and how we ought to love him and others. So he's not downplaying steadfast love. Rather, Solomon is contrasting the one who boasts of love, but it's just words, and the rare person who's actually faithful, loyal, reliable, trustworthy. This faithfulness, of course, is something God wants to form in us. It's actually a fruit of the Spirit. You probably knew that, right? We often, the fruit of the Spirit, we know love, joy, peace, and then it's like, oh, patience, because I need patience. And we kind of forget some of the rest, but faithfulness is in there. The Holy Spirit wants to produce faithfulness in us. In fact, one of the evidences that you are, uh, of the Spirit's work in your life, that you're born again and that he's in you, is that you're growing in faithfulness to God and to one another. And I just want to plant this thought in you. Now, this might sound hyperbolic, okay, like an exaggerated statement, but I, I don't think it is. But I want to plant this thought in you that it is faithful men, faithful women, faithful boys and girls who grow up to be faithful men and women, faithful to God, and faithful in their God-given relationships that will change the world. It's not the flash in the pan who guy or gal who's excited for a moment and then where'd they go? It's those who are faithful day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year for decades. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I think I'm serious when I say that. I think that's true. Do you remember how Jesus said the kingdom of God advances? Slowly, steadily, sometimes imperceptibly, but it surely does, right? Uh, sometimes we think that the kingdom of God is, comes like the allied forces storming the Normandy beaches, like, <sighs> but Jesus describes it coming like, like leaven being kneaded in the lump of dough that slowly spreads into all of it. So, I want to describe in the remaining, remaining time we have the faithful man or woman with what I would just say four points of application, okay? What does a faithful man or woman look like? And um, as I said before, the Spirit wants to produce this in you. And so what you are called to do is realizing or trusting that the Spirit produces this in you is you are to work this out, okay? So do you want to be a faithful man. And I want everyone to hear, do you want to be a faithful, you don't have to answer by raising your hand, but do you want to be a faithful man or a faithful woman? Even some of the younger, do you want to be a faithful boy or girl? Good. I think you do. Who doesn't, right? Who, what, what Christian doesn't? Then let me describe for you what a faithful man, faithful woman looks like and then we're to pursue this. Okay? So, First, a faithful man's life, faithful woman's life is to be governed 
by sound principles and duties and responsibilities rather than fleeting emotions and feelings. Let me say that again. A faithful man's life is to be governed, woman too, right? Is to be governed by sound principles, duties, responsibilities rather than fleeting emotions and feelings. Now you can imagine this verse, Proverbs 20, verse 6, describing someone who is moved with strong, a strong wave of emotion boasting in their love. But then when the feelings leave, guess what happens? So does the man. <laughs> He's gone. When the feelings are gone, so is he. He's nowhere to be found. When the strong emotions left, so did he, the faith, but a faithful man who can find. Now I want to clarify something before, I go, before going on. Because emotions aren't bad. Emotions are good. We're emotional beings. God created us that way. God is an emotional being. You can't read the Bible without coming to the realization that God loves certain things, hates, he is joyful, he's angry. I mean, there's, he has a range of emotions, and so do we. These are wonderful gifts, wonderful servants. In fact, without emotions, life would be pretty boring. It'd be pretty bland. Everyone would be walking around with lifeless looks on their faces and relate with each other like a stoic and talk with a monotone voice. But with all that said, the faithful man is faithful because he's governed by something much more steady than his fickle emotions. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? There's something more, that's more steady than the feelings that ebb and flow. He's governed by principles that help give order and shape to his life. Obedience to the will of God is preeminent for the man or woman who is seeking to be faithful. This person believes that God requires certain things from him. He has responsibilities under God to the people God has placed in his life. And therefore, he lives with a sense of duty to God and to God's people and to the people that God has, has, has well, maybe I should say to God, the, the faithful man to his God and to his people. Whether that be a husband, wife, children, and so forth. Emotions are wonderful servants, but they're terrible masters. We all know that. We've all been around a child <laughs> it's like, who is ruled by emotions. And if that child was allowed to rule the house, that child would be a tyrant. Right? <clears throat> A faithful man or woman would never live by the motto, hey, you be you, right? Or follow your heart or pursue your dreams. And it's not that we don't have any aspirations. It's just that we want our aspirations to be formed by the life that God has given us, not always looking for something else. And of course, this gives us a certain steadiness. We, we sang the song about the steady love of God. We want to have that, don't we? And it's not that emotion has no part in performing our responsibilities. They most certainly do. We just want to make sure that our emotions, our feelings, line up with what is right instead of trying to, to determine what's right based on how we feel. So again, example. Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. For a child to be a faithful child, they're to obey their parents, honor their parents, and of course, unless the parent's telling them to do something sinful, I get all that, but, and it doesn't matter how they feel about it, first and foremost. The only way, ultimately, for a child to fully obey Ephesians 6 is for them to do what their parents say with a joyful heart, right? My kids learned this rhyme. Uh, okay, I will obey right away. Is that how it goes? How does that go? Well, if one of my girls was here, they'd, they'd help me out here. Um, it was in a homeschool group that they were part of. So, in our society, things have been significantly inverted in this. And, it, and, and, and in the church, we're not, we're not, exempt, we're not free of this either. It's, it's, it's affected us as well. Feelings and emotions seem to rule the roost. Expressive individualism seems to be the highest good for someone to express who they are, express who they feel they are to the point that everyone is supposed to just nod and go along and affirm a troubled young boy who feels like he's a girl. Or even more bizarre, I don't know if you've heard of this, but boys and girls who feel like they, inside they feel like they're actually a cat or a bunny. And people are just to nod and affirm because that's how they feel inside. Of course, 30 years ago, a doctor presented with a case like that would have said, we got a troubled child here. We need to help them align their thoughts with reality, namely their bi- biology. No, you're a boy. You really are. I know you're confused. Today, that's been reversed. Many doctors today presented with the same scenario seek to bring the child's body into conformity with how they feel. And so... Body parts are chopped off and children's bodies are injected with hormones that they shouldn't have. Well, at least at the levels they're getting. As Christians, our lives need to be governed by concrete realities, responsibilities before God. There's much in the Bible that addresses us as Christians. We're Christians, we've been saved by Christ, and it addresses us by essentially saying, this is who you are, Do what's required of you. You're a father. You're a man. Let's start there. You're a man. You're a woman. You're a father. You're a mother. You're a husband. You're a wife. You're a part of the body. You're a child. This is who you are. Do what God requires. In all of these interpersonal relationships we find ourselves in, we should want to know what God, how God wants us to live. We should. We should want to know, what does he have, what does he require of me here? What are, his, what are my duties, my responsibilities in all of these relationships? In all of these relationships, God has given me or placed me in. And the responsibilities ought to be performed with zeal. Right? That's where emotions come into play. We ought to do all of these things with zeal. Thomas Watson, a Puritan, said, duties done without zeal dishonor God. And so that's where we say, okay, I know what I need to do, 
but I don't want to. God, change my heart. Help me. Help me to be faithful, fully faithful in doing what you want me to do, what I'm required to do, and doing it in a way that glorifies you or doing it with joy. So, let your life, if you want to be faithful, let your life be governed by sound principles, by duties, by responsibilities, not emotions, not fleeting feelings. Second, a faithful man or woman's life is characterized by action and not just words or good intentions. The faithful man doesn't just proclaim his steadfast love, he proves it. He shows up. When there's a need, he's there. He doesn't just talk about love. In fact, he may not talk about it at all. You may never hear those words come from his mouth, but he proves it. And the faithful woman does as well. You know, my dad was not the most affectionate person And as a boy, it's not like I was looking for that necessarily, but maybe he was with my sisters. Jody might say, yes, he was. But okay, for me, he wasn't, which, but but I knew that he loved me. One of the reasons I knew was because he was always there. He was always there. He showed up. He showed his love. I think that's the most direct point from this verse, the, right? Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find, the one who shows it faithfully, loyally, who can find. This truth is echoed throughout the New Testament. The Apostle John in John, 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. It always costs more to act in love than to merely boast of love or have certain intentions of love. And sometimes the actions that need to be taken are hard. It may even seem to threaten the relationship at times. It can be hard to discipline a child. It can be hard. No parent, no good parent loves to discipline their child. But it's our responsibility. It's our duty as parents. Going back to point number one, right? This is our duty. This is what we must do. God requires this of us. And the parent who doesn't, Proverbs says, doesn't love the child, actually hates the child. If you love your child, you will discipline him or her. We don't want to just say how much we love our child. We want to show it with action, sometimes difficult action. It can be hard to confront a friend caught in sin. But if you love them, you will. When you see that it's ravaging their soul, and if they continue down that path, it's going to lead to destruction. You will confront them. The one who lavishes you with kisses when you need to be confronted by a friend is your enemy. Right? The one who lavishes you with kisses when you need a confrontation is your enemy. The one who is a true friend will be willing to wound you. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The faithful man or woman's life will be characterized by action, not just good intentions and not just good words. And sometimes, oftentimes, it requires hard actions. Third, the faithful man or woman grows in perseverance through trials. Amen. The faithful man or woman grows 
and perseverance and steadfastness. Maybe we could use that word through trials. Trials don't ultimately derail the person who's faithful, the man or woman who's faithful. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. There, there may be times when it feels like it's derailing us. But rather than derailing us, ultimately it makes us stronger. And you know that's the purpose of God in trials, don't you? Is to make you stronger. And I did say purpose. God has purpose in our trials. His purpose in our trials is to make us stronger. God ordains trials for us so that we grow in steadfastness. Perseverance, steadfastness, I'm using those words interchangeably. And and steadfastness or perseverance is the ability to keep moving forward, to keep pressing on in the path of, of obedience to Christ, even when things are hard. So to strengthen this steadfastness so that we are faithful to the end, which is what we want. We want to be faithful men and women all the way to the end. To strengthen our steadfastness, God gives us tailor-made troubles. Our trials and hardships are not random. And we hear this so clearly right off the bat in the book of James. James introduces himself and then he gives a greeting. Hey, how's it going, guys? And then he says this in verse 2. Count it all joy my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, stop right there. Who's the one that tests our faith in order to produce steadfastness? It's not the devil. It's God. You know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. Let it it work its way. Let it work its way all through your life so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perseverance is like the locomotive that pushes a faithful man or woman forward through thick and through thin. And God works this in us through difficulty and trials. Now, just to connect this with the previous two, thought, two, two points, okay? Perseverance strengthens the man or woman to continue in their responsibilities, in their duties, to continue to act a life of love instead of just talking about love. Michael Green, um, a British commentator, author, said that our life ought to be like the steady burning of a star rather than the ephemeral brilliance of a meteor. Right? The meteor just flashes across, says, it's beautiful, it's amazing, it's brilliant, it's like, but then it's gone. Whereas the steady burning of a star might burn for hundreds of years. The Christian life is like a grueling endurance run where we faithfully put one foot in front of the other, we keep performing our responsibilities. We keep doing what pleases God over and over, step after step after step with joyful zeal. We keep loving in deed and in truth. Fourth, the faithful man or woman lives with the future in mind and looks for the reward of the Lord, of Christ, ultimately. Um, faithfulness communicates something of, of longevity, doesn't it? I mean, you, we wouldn't talk about someone's faithfulness if 
They've been unfaithful for decades, and then they show up and exhibit some zeal for a day. We wouldn't call them faithful necessarily. I mean, we might, we might praise God for that, but faithfulness communicates longevity. The faithful man or woman is in it for the long haul. Imagine being at a wedding, and instead of the traditional till death do us part, part of the vows, the bride and groom said something like, till the love tank runs dry, or something like that. You would be thinking, I don't think this is going to last long. And you'd probably be right. But because a faithful man governs his life by principles and a sense of duty to the people that God has given him to be responsible for, and because his life is characterized by action and not just good words and intentions, and because trials, which we all go through, are having that enduring effect upon our lives, of course, if we're going to be faithful, we're prepared and concerned for the long term. The faithful man or woman has their eyes set on the future. They want to be faithful to the end, looking to the reward that they will receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, their eyes are set on eternity. But even in this life, I would suggest, even in this life, the faithful man and woman has their eyes set on how faithfulness now will have an effect on their children and their children's children and their children's children's children. And if you don't have kids, don't worry, you're not left out because you're part of this generational blessing. And though I am my parents, my, my, ch- my children's father, and I have a certain authority, I want many godly men and women to speak into their lives. I'm not sure exactly when I started thinking more and more about this or this way, more and more about my offspring if you will, 100 years down the road, maybe 500 years down the road um, into the future. I certainly didn't grow up this way, and I wasn't surrounded by people who instilled this in me or, or even communicated this that I know of. If my dad was here, he's dead, but if he was here, he might say, oh, yes, you were, but I don't remember it. I didn't grow up thinking this way, I don't think. I grew up in the, uh, I grew up in, a, in, in the, you know, in the heyday of the Left Behind books. <laughs> You guys familiar with, who's familiar with the Left Behind books, okay? Yeah, I mean, like literally, there were times I'd come home when I thought someone was supposed to be there, and no one was, and I thought, oh my goodness, have they been raptured, and I've been left behind? You know, you imagine waking up, I, anyways, I won't go there, never mind. That, I grew up, that was my... That was my view of the end was imminent. It's any minute and you don't want to be left behind. But I'm, I'm so I, that's kind of the way I thought. Um, but I, I don't anymore. It's not that, I, it's not that I, I don't want to live with a sense of urgency, but I, I'm thinking more and more about, okay, my kids, my grandkids in the future, my great-grandkids and so forth. Maybe it was when my oldest daughter, Sabrina, got married. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, (laughs) I could be a grandpa sometime soon. 
Um, she's not pregnant, okay. <laughs> she would be mortified if she thought I communicated anything that, anyway, she's not pregnant, um, but I could be a grandpa sometime in the next few years. Verse 7, we're talking about verse 6 of Proverbs 20. Verse 7 says this, The righteous man who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. And I don't think that's limited just to the, the, the single generation after you. Children, children. I mean, the, the Bible talks about um, Abraham's children. Not just Isaac and Ishmael, but... So, to live this way, to be a faithful man, faithful woman, impacts, excuse me, faithfulness now is to impact future generations. And I think to live this way is to ultimately to aim for eternity, actually. I really do. Living for eternity is not living as though nothing in this life matters or nothing in this material world matters. I don't think that's living for eternity. Rather, I think living for eternity is living as though everything matters. And everything matters forever. Our interactions every day matter. How we love, how we serve matters, and it matters forever. The movie Gladiator, which is not a family movie, not for children, you wouldn't want to just sit down on a Friday night and watch Gladiator as a family, but it is a pretty good movie. At the very beginning of the movie, Maximus, who's a Roman general, to inspire his men, they're about to go into battle, they're about to attack, they're about to storm some Germanic tribe that they're going to defeat or that trying to defeat, and they do. But to inspire his men, he says this. He says, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. Now, of course, he was a Roman general. He was a pagan, but he, so he wasn't a Christian. He didn't have a Christian worldview, but we know that to be true. It really does. It, that's true. 1 Corinthians 15 is a chapter all about the resurrection, this glorious chapter about the resurrection, Christ's resurrection, our resurrection, in him in the future, and all, the, not all, but these glorious implications of that. And you'd think at the very end, Paul would say, you know what, let's stand up and let's sing a worship song to the praise of God's glorious grace in, his resurrection, in the resurrection of Christ. But he doesn't. The very last verse, he says this, Therefore, brothers, be immovable, unshakable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in, your Lord, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, what we do in this life is, if we do it in the Lord, is not in vain. And is there anything in this life that we should do not in the Lord? No. We want to do it all in the Lord and for his glory. And so it's, none of it's in vain. It's not to be. We shouldn't see any part of life that way. C.S. Lewis said something like, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Let's truly aim at heaven. Living faithful this entire life in every area of life to the praise of God's glory and not just for, for our benefit now 
and not even just for our benefit sometime in the future eternally, but also for the, for the benefit of those who come after us. So who can find a faithful man or woman? This is a tall order to be a faithful man or woman. And, uh, and I, uh, <laughs> somebody asked me earlier, earlier this week, what are you preaching on this week? I said, Proverbs 26, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find him. And his immediate response was like, ouch. <laughs> but if you say, listen, I really want to be a faithful man, a faithful woman, then I really do want to leave you encouraged. Because we do all of this by faith. We do all of it by faith. It doesn't mean we don't actually do it, but we do it by faith in Christ. What did Paul say in Galatians 2.20? He said, the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's not any part of our life that we're to live outside of faith. We're to live it all by faith. So we look to Christ by faith. And what do we see when we look to Jesus? We see in Jesus Christ the prototypical faithful man. Right? We see in Jesus, he's the faithful one. Like ultimately, Revelation 2, 13, calls him the faithful witness. I love that scene at the end of Revelation. I can't remember if Reed touched on this passage or not when he was teaching through the end of Revelation. Revelation 19, verse 11. The man sitting on the white horse. And what is he called? Faithful and true. That's our Savior. That's who he is. The Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation is the epitome of a life governed by duty and responsibility and not feeling. But he carried out his responsibility with great zeal. He came to do the will of his Father. He fulfilled all righteousness. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, in order to ransom those that the Father had given to him. He's the faithful man. Not only that, but Jesus didn't just send us a love letter proclaiming his love for us. He acted, didn't he? He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Born in the likeness of men, he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. He lived a perfect life on our behalf. He went to the battlefield and defeated death and sin for us. He gave his life as a ransom. He rose from the dead. And even now, even now, I love how this intersected with the New City Catechism question. Where is Jesus now? What's he doing? He's not kicking up his feet relaxing. What does the Bible say he's doing? He ever lives to make intercession for his beloved people. And he's conquering his enemies and putting them under his feet. Not only that, but Christ persevered. He overcame in the desert when tempted. He endured the temptation to not drink the cup the Father had given him. He endured the cross, and he did all of it for the joy that was set before him. The joy of redeeming his people and ransoming, or what does it say in Hebrews 2? 
bringing many sons to God, to the Father. That's not how it says it. But uh, you get the idea. Jesus Christ is the faithful man. And you, are, you and I are called to be faithful in Christ and through faith in Christ. We look to him and we walk it out by faith in the strength of the Spirit. So, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Brothers and sisters, here's the challenge. Hopefully you're encouraged, but here's the challenge. Look to Christ, the faithful and true one. And then, set your hand to the plow and don't look back, okay? Determine, resolve by faith to be a faithful man, a faithful woman, a faithful boy, a faithful girl, faithful member of the body in the strength of God's spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Father, pray for my brothers and sisters as well as myself here. This is a serious and sober call and yet one that every true child of God, there's something inside of us that's bursting at the seams. We want this to be true of us. We want to rise to the occasion and we realize in ourselves we're nothing. We can't do it. Who is sufficient for these things? Not I, no one in this room. Christ is. And in him, he has made us sufficient. 